Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Hi, it's Film Study once again. Second episode this week because we broke down the offense battles last episode. This battle, uh, this one we're going to focus on the defense. Joined, as always, on Film Study is Ken McCusick and Michael Crawford. How are you guys doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? Doing well down here in Florida. How are you, Michael? Hey, I'm doing great. Doing great. Enjoying the heat. We're in prime uh, summer heat territory right now. So uh, just enjoying the weather and the rest of summer for as long as it lasts. Yeah, whenever I talk to my family, I, people are always complaining about the heat back in Maryland, and I keep telling them, "What do you think I'm dealing with down in here in Florida? It's it's <laughs> the same, if not if not a little bit warmer down here." So, exactly. It, it's it's summer, but hey, uh, we are about a week away from training camp. Lots of battles going on. Lots of battles. Yeah, it's a it's a gonna be a very interesting camp on both sides of the ball. A lot of camp competition, not only on the margin of the roster, and we'll certainly be talking about some of that tonight, uh, but all over the roster, and, and in particular on the defense, this time where there is a plethora of depth. And you know, there's a couple things to think about. One of, the, one of the things I want to talk about is the Ravens have won their last 13 preseason games. Now, first of all, that doesn't happen by accident. The chances is less than one in 8,000 that would happen by by just random chance if they had a 50% chance to win each game. And that's often the way people look at preseason games. They're just a coin flip kind of proposition. Then you go certain places, and they will actually advise you on who to bet on in a preseason game. 
Here's the best piece of advice I can give you in terms of wagering on preseason. I'm not going to give you any specific picks, unfortunately, but look at the teams who have the greater depth because that is what decides preseason games. And that's why the Ravens have been so successful for so long is they have unbelievable depth, mostly on the defensive side of the ball, and they've been constantly able to beat up other teams in the second half to win football games. No question. When you watch their twos and threes come in and go against the opposing teams, twos and threes, they're typically just better players. And uh, you, you see them able to close these games out in the second half. With con- It's funny you mentioned it because I was just watching uh, a couple of preseason games to prepare for this because, you know, some of these guys we're going to talk about tonight, we hadn't seen them since last mm-hmm. preseason. So I was watching some of those games. And, yeah, they just they just suffocate teams in the second half with defense, right? Just continuous, like, pass rush pressure and sacks and turnovers. So, yeah, uh, that that's that's a huge key to their preseason success. Yeah, that's Zach Sealer and – and all the, the, the cornerbacks they've had have had big second half. Stanley Jean-Baptiste had a big one last year. They had Sean Elliott playing well in the second half. Uh, they have really dominated the second half of football games. So if, if somebody has a hunch that the Ravens are going down tonight, I, I, I'd inspect it a little bit with them online before you, uh, before you make that wager anyway. Uh, but if you're betting on f- preseason football games, you might have a problem. You might have a gambling problem, yes. That's, that's a I definitely have a problem, then. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Call me uh, red-handed. <laughs> well, we got fourth-year players, again, highlight the discussion of the fighting for jobs, and, and that's something we'll have to talk about, Michael, as we go through this. Uh, you know, we, we have more fourth-year players probably on the offensive side with Moore and Dixon and... Uh, Lewis, all fighting for spots. Uh, but on the defensive side, we got him too. Um, and uh, and we'll go through and uh, and catch him as we go. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, not as many as you mentioned on, on this side of the ball, but there's a couple of guys out there who are going to be really battling with uh, an, an infusion sort of from both ends of the acquisition spectrum, right? So you've got draft picks and UDFAs who come in, and then you've also got some free agents. Uh, who the Ravens, who the Ravens have signed at some of those, some of those position groups. So they're kind of being squeezed on both sides of the equation. Some of those fourth year guys. Yeah, and that's as you make a great point about the free agents because we we're entering camp and there are a fair number of free agents and they are not all safe. They are not all safe. We're going to talk through that a little bit already. We talked some of them offense, but let's jump right into the position groups. Michael, start with the defensive line. I, I think the Ravens really have a quandary here because they need the best players now, as the, as every team does which means they need Pierce and they need William Williams to show up and play well. And they need to figure out that five-tech spot. But also, they need to prepare for the future, where Pierce and Williams won't be here, possibly, Mm -hmm. a year from now, maybe two years from now in Williams' case. And they need that infusion of young talent to rebuild that defensive line again. Definitely, definitely. Um, And that's a a really good point about Pierce and Williams, because I think— the sort of pervasive thought about that out among the fan base is that one of the two will be here going forward into the future, you know, not just this year, but, but, you know, in, in 2020 and beyond, but I'm not so sure about that. So I think you're right that you have to think about it maybe a little bit more broadly and think about guys like Dalen Mack, um, like Gerald Willis, uh, like Patrick Ricard, you know, you might have to look at those guys a little bit differently than maybe you had because maybe you were thinking, well, one of Williams or Pierce will be here, so they kind of just need that other guy to fill in next to him. Well, I don't know. 
Uh, and then you make a really good point as well about the five technique um, with with Brent Urban being gone. And that that could be an interesting one. You could probably see a combination of uh, Wormley and uh, Seiler or Sealer. I, I always mispronounce his name. Um, there's no guarantee that uh, that that both of those guys are going to make the team, even though I'm pretty confident warmly. Well, I think Siler, you know, has probably got a pretty good shot at it too, just by nature of the position that he plays. And he's probably the most pure body type sort of five technique that they yeah. have on the team. And maybe you get some really solid production out of a rotation of those guys at the five technique position. Maybe not one in, you know, one guy individually maybe jumps out and has a breakthrough year, even though I really like Chris Wormley, but maybe you see those guys combining to, to give you some solid, uh, solid production well, at that spot. A few things. First of all, on the pronunciation of sealer, we need to get it right. The sealer family are big, proponents of this show and tweet okay. to me a fair amount. And we want to make sure that they, that we, we get their son's name, right. And, uh, warmly, I agree. Um, he looks like he'll be the starter coming in sealer. They kept, and it was not a surprise keep after the, after the preseason he had, he had a great preseason. He earned his way onto the team. What I think was very special about him as a rookie is he was supposed to be the strongest guy pound for pound on the team. That is so unusual that a rookie has that distinction. I can't even tell you. I mean, very, very unusual. So usually a, a really sculpted middle of career guy, maybe even a late career guy as, as Brendan Ian Badejo had that title for a number of years for the Ravens. But to, for, for Sealer to be the strongest guy pound for pound is really exceptional. And I think he's going to get a very significant shot. There's a lot of opportunity at that five tech to play the first down snaps there. You know, when they get into the nickel package and the dime package it becomes a little less clear who the five tech really is or if it's a, a plain five tech or you have willie henry in there along with an inside pass rusher you know how it goes on 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 passing downs but at least on first down and on, on you know possible rundowns i think we'll, we'll see a lot of opportunity for those two players and uh, sealer would be one guy i would project to make a fairly substantial breakthrough in terms of snaps this year wormley was already playing a fair number yeah i'd agree with that i'd agree with that i definitely see him taking you know getting a real uptick in snaps when he he had his opportunities to play last year i think he he showed pretty well uh in in the limited snaps that he got and so i'm looking for that um second year jump you know just in terms of all around improvement and you mentioned willie henry another guy who um not necessarily uh in the five technique mix per se even though you know he's played he's played all up and down the line uh but a guy who probably is is maybe their most consistent interior pass rusher oh, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and maybe the closest thing to a to a, a true three technique that they have on the on the roster uh so uh, I'm, I'm excited about him being back and being healthy and and really being able to get a chance to show what he can do with a larger you know sample size of snaps so I, I hope we get a chance to see that right he never really gets he does not get to play a lot of true three on this team because yeah. when, on early downs well, sometimes they'll have Henry in along with one of the two behemoths. But but oftentimes he's in on a passing down where uh, he really has to play in the A-gap. Yep. And and then he's you have somebody else uh, playing in that uh, in that three, uh, the, sorry, the five tech or the three tech spot. Um, anyway, uh, here's the Willie Henry stat that I thought was just incredible. I'm going to read you off the percentages of sacks while these players were in the game, percentage of pass plays resulting in sacks. So Pierce, 5.3%. Ricard, 4.5%. That's just one sack out of 22. Urban, 6.4%. Brandon Williams, 4.9%. 
Chris Wormley, 3.7%, and Willie Henry, 21.2% sacks. Wow. Now, <laughs> Willie Henry played in some games where they had a lot of sacks. But okay, that's pretty indicative. But just the sack total itself has significance here. 11 sacks in 50, hold on, let me make sure I have this right, 52 pass plays while he was on the field. They, the Ravens had 11 sacks during that time. So that's a 21.2%. Wow. Even the other guys who were on there for a lot of snaps, like Pierce, there were only 12 snaps, well, 12 sacks in the 226 pass attempts while he was on the field. 13 for Brandon Williams in the 266 snaps he was on the field. So that gives you an idea. I mean, it is a it is a complete outlier number. Uh, it's the one of the biggest outlier numbers I've seen this season in looking through stats. You see you see him and then you forget him kind of thing. Yeah. But this, that's a big outlier. And and Willie Henry, I think he, you know it makes a big difference to have him healthy and and there. And you know, we see you know, some of the other players. We, we do want to get to them as well. Uh, but uh, but I'm excited about Willie Henry. He'd be one player that I would really project to go forward. I have seen people say that Willie Henry is fighting for a job. I just don't see that as a practical possibility at all in the defense. I think he's a fourth-year player who makes it, and you know, quite possible that he contributes to the comp formula at the end of the year. Also possible the Ravens can structure a deal to keep him. Well, that number uh, that you just uh, quoted, that that definitely lends a lot of support to him not being on the bubble uh, is him having a pretty clear spot on this team. And, you know, look, I guess people could could look at that and unpack it and say, well, maybe he's a part of certain packages where they're more, you know, sort of outside linebackers that are doing things that help contribute to that. So uh, who knows? Right. But but uh, I guess that kind of gives us a segue to, to talk about that outside linebacker group. Well, we have uh, let's let's hit real quickly on the on the other besides the other what I think of the locked players, so Henry Wormley, Sealer, Williams, Pierce. You got four guys, Willis, uh, sorry, Willis, Mack, and Ricard. You want to just mm. handicap it really quickly for me. Who do you think will make the team IR? Give me one make the team, one IR, and one cut out of those three. Okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to Ricard, make the team, Mack, IR, and I don't think Willis makes it. Okay, Willis cut. And I'm going to go with Mack, IR, no, I'm not. I'm going to make go with Mac make the team, Willis IR, because I think they really want to save him for the potential for Pearson Williams in the future, and Ricard gets cut. Mm. So I can see it. It could certainly go either way. I, I've he's he's got that sort of at Ricard. I'm talking about now. He, he has that added versatility to you know sort of serve as a blocker on offense, even though they've got three three guys, you know, at the tight end spot who can do that. Obviously Boyle's extremely capable blocker. So maybe that need isn't, isn't quite as strong as it's been in the past, but I, I, I'm a sucker for, for flexibility, especially guys who can play on both sides of the ball. <laughs> right. I, I agree. I, I love that about him. I, it's, it's one of these places where the, the defense just has more aggregate talent and there may be more spots that get uh, a portion to the defense because of it. For sure. All right. You mentioned outside linebackers. You want to start us off on that? Yeah. So, uh, you know, competition there as well. That spot opposite Matthew Judon, who I think everybody knows he's uh, a firm lock at his position and, and expecting big things from him. But uh, on that opposite side, you've got a lot of guys over there, right? You've got the rookie Jalen Ferguson. You've got Bowser. You've got Tim Williams. You've got the free agents and Shane Ray and Pernell McPhee. So, You've got a lot to to sort of chop up there. But what I think is interesting about it is I think you have some complementary skills. There's a little bit of overlap with some of the guys, but I think in general you could say 
you know, Bowser is probably better in coverage, right, than the other guys. Mm-hmm. Tim Williams probably has the best pure pass uh, pass rush pedigree than the other guys, even though Ferguson, you know, broke Terrell Suggs' career sack record in college. So I'm not giving him uh, the short end of the stick at all, but just in terms of the flashes that we've seen at the NFL level from Tim Williams, right? He's really showed himself well as a pass rusher. Pernell McPhee, uh, jack of all trades, right? A guy who can kind of do a little bit of everything, can get after the passer, can play the run, um, you know, can do a little bit in coverage. He actually showed a little bit of that in his years in college, uh, his, his, his years in Chicago and Washington. They didn't do it a ton, but every now and then he would drop back in the kind of short underneath coverage. And then Shane Ray, uh, also a little bit of that pass rush pedigree. I think his rookie year, he really kind of opened some eyes. I, I want to say he might've had seven or eight sacks his rookie year. And then he's been dealing with injuries, uh, the last couple of years. But, you know, if he can get back to that form that he showed as a rookie, there's another guy. Uh, with some pass rush pedigree. So you've got a little bit of a mix of skills in there. And obviously at that outside linebacker position, you want everybody to have some pass rush ability. So that's, that's, that's something I think everybody has a little bit of, a little bit of in their game and, and, and some additional things they can do as well. So if we're talking about the the top four guys to me, Judon Ferguson, Bowser and Williams are locks. Uh, Bowser is a player that I've heard a lot of people talking about getting cut, but there's no way. I mean, th- th- he is, so far and away, at least the second best coverage linebacker on this team. It's not outside linebacker. It's not funny. So he's the, really the only backup, Sam. I wouldn't even want to think about what would happen if Judon went down if the Ravens didn't have Tyus Bowser ready to go. So I don't think that's a. I don't think it's a possibility that they'll cut him. I think then it really comes down to these two veterans. I think they will keep five outside linebackers, and injury may otherwise decide it. You know, Ferguson could be IR'd for a year. It's not impossible. But I think they'll probably keep five. And Shane Ray and Pernell McPhee are probably where the cut is coming from if if all their depth holds up throughout camp. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. I, I mean, I we've, we've varied, you know, on some of these other position groups and sort of how we handicap it. But I bet we're pretty much uh, in, in lockstep on this one, except for the guy. I actually think Pernell McPhee is the guy who's going to make it between – he and Shane Ray. I know some others, you know, they look at the age discrepancy, but when you watch Pernell McPhee, and this is another one of the videos that Dev, I think I mentioned it on the last show that Dev Pinchwa and I did one on Shane Ray. We did one on Pernell McPhee too. If you go back and just watch him last year with the Redskins, this guy has not lost much of anything that I could see in terms of his, his impact on the field. And the defense is just better, right? <laughs> he does things that don't necessarily show up in the stat sheet. Maybe he doesn't get the sack. Maybe he doesn't get the pressure. Maybe he doesn't make the play that leads to the run stop. Uh, or, or he does, excuse me, he doesn't make the run stop, but he makes the play that leads to the, yeah. he does so many of those little things to set other guys up. It's very, um, it's lofty praise, obviously, but it's very Terrell Suggs-like, right? Towards the end of Suggs' career, where he does all these little things, these really heady, savvy veteran, you know, understanding the game kind of plays to set other guys up. So uh, I'm I'm unabashedly in the tank for Pernell. <laughs> I, I'd love to see him make it. He was my favorite defensive player in 2012 uh, with the season he had. And then 2014, he had just what I think was obviously the the driver of that pass rush in their 56 sack season. And he had enormous sack numbers from Dumerville and Suggs. But the fact of the matter was Pernell McPhee was driving that with consistently picking up those doubles on the inside. And it seemed like two or three times per game he would beat a double to either get a pressure, get a quarterback hit, get in the, you know, get in the quarterback's face somehow that would often create a sack for somebody else. 
So, you know, some of that complimentary ability has obviously been there for years. Uh, McPhee is, is, is certainly one of my favorites. I'm very, it was, I was sorry to see him leave the Ravens, even at the price he left at, but, uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's down to him and Ray. I wouldn't look, there is a big age difference between the two. I think it's 26 and 30 for the two guys. I may be even wrong. McPhee may be 31 now, but, uh, they have each player for only one year. So in a lot of ways, the Ravens just got to think who's going to have the bigger year and who might have the better chance to get comp value at the end of the year or, if they want to stay with Ray and they think they can re-sign him, uh, you know, it's it's really it's they're playing a, with a loaded gun to do that because they're you know they're playing a guy on a one-year contract. They got him cheap, and you'll hope he plays well. And if he does play well, you know, there's a tremendous demand for pass rushers in this league. Um, and if Shane Ray is is healthy, he he could come back and and be the guy again. I'm with you though. I think I, McPhee is more likely to do it. I know we had a question in the in the. Uh, in the mailbag coming up about who's your surprise cut. But my guy would probably be Ray is that something doesn't really work out, whether it's a, a, a recurrence of the hand injury or recurrence of any number of other things where the Ravens just say, look, we're too deep at this position. We can keep five, but we can't keep six outside linebackers. No one does that. And yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that injury risk uh, now and, and, you know, to to be fair, I guess McPhee has, has dealt with some knee injuries the last couple of years. I think he was OK last year in Washington. They did a really good job of managing his snap count. Uh, but obviously, when he's in Chicago, he had some issues. So there's some some risk there for him, too. But no, I, I tend to agree with you that Ray is the guy because you're just looking at what he's coming back from. And I know he's been recovering from it for a while now. It's not like it just happened last year, but a wrist injury is probably more significant in terms of the impact on a pass rusher than maybe people realize. You have to think about how much pass rushers use their hands <laughs> to, try to, to try to defeat blocks, right? And if that wrist is not stable, is not solid, if you're not really able to deliver the blow or place it where you want it or chop and rip, do all these things, it can really limit your, I mean, he talked about um, how it limited his ability, not just on the field, but even in the weight room. Like he actually lost some functional strength because he wasn't mm-hmm. able to do certain lifts because of his wrist injury. So it has a cascading effect that sometimes maybe you don't necessarily think about you know, oh, a wrist injury. You know, he's, he's a pass rusher. What, what's the big deal? But no, it's, it's actually a pretty big deal. OK, so we got two now on our list. It's don't endanger your wrist with any wrist activities. That <laughs> may be and, and don't play with fireworks. We already knew that one from before. <laughs> No. I, I did want to make one more other comment about the outside linebackers because they have three others in camp. Adoye, who's a 25-year-old rookie from Southeast Missouri State, and the schools are key for these three guys. Marcus Jones, who's one of the two very large guys, 6'5 or 6'6 from Angelo State, and Michael Anuoha from Texas A&M Commerce, another 6'5, 6'6 guy, very long in the mold of Carlos Dunlap. Those three guys, I think, are fighting probably for one practice squad spot. Maybe there's mm. two. Okay. But here's what's exciting about this. I look at those small schools and I say, that's got the Costa written all over it. <laughs> he knows yeah. these guys. He knows there's a value out there somewhere. And I'm betting in the preseason, we're going to be really impressed with at least one of these guys. And they're, they're going to look like, a, like, man, we can't let this guy go. We got we to gotta figure it out, whether it's IR or, or uh, uh, you know, maybe somebody makes the roster by surprise if there's an injury to someone else. He's definitely had the small school touch. I mean, we've seen it, whether it's guys like Brandon Williams or, you know, you can think of other names, uh, Ladarius Webb. I mean, you can think of other guys. He's definitely had that touch. Uh, And, you know, obviously the whole scouting staff is involved, but 
Um, I think he's talked about it. He's acknowledged other guys have acknowledged on his behalf. Ozzy has acknowledged that, hey, when it comes to these small schools, Eric just knows how to find these guys, you know. So I think you're 100 percent right. Uh, you're going to see those guys on the field and they're going to play well. And you're going to think this, this we can't have these guys on the bubble. We got to keep these guys on the roster. So you can't even put them on the practice squad. Somebody's going to snatch them up. You know, we go through that every year with with a guy somewhere on the team. And I wouldn't be surprised if one or two of these guys falls into that spot. Yeah. Anyway, that's I, I really looked. the last two picks of 2018 were Greg Sinat and Zach Sealer. And if you look at those, they called them the last two picks of the Aussie era, but I look at them as the first two picks of the DaCosta era. They're obviously small school DaCosta picks and very excited by, you know, still part of my my belief in Sanat is the fact that DaCosta scouted him, obviously, and, and picked him as a late round gem to have. Didn't try and get him as a free agent. He used a, a sixth round draft pick on him. But yep. that's, a, that's a lot of draft capital for, you know, what's left over at the bottom of the draft. That and, says a lot. And, yeah. And then they kept Sealer. You know, it's, you don't keep your seventh round pick every year, and you no. certainly don't have him active on the roster for, for no. every year. So extremely rare, extremely rare that that happens. So I yeah. think you're right. I think that speaks volumes about what he sees in those two guys. All right, well, let's move to inside linebacker. And inside linebacker classes is pretty thin, although we've said that before in terms of having mostly UDFAs to pick from. I think there are only three locks in this group as I see it. So Chris Board appears to be getting more playing time than Kenny Young as things are starting out. And, you know, both of us would have preferred, I think, to see Kenny Young get the opportunity to play the mic role and move there and and see him get the green dot, perhaps. Uh, Young is certainly a lock to make the team. And then Owasu, who appears headed to get the green dot and be an every down player this year. Yeah, I think that's what Harbaugh commented on. I, I know you've tweeted out about it, and I think other people have mentioned it, too, that he came out and said Owasu is going to be the Mike linebacker, the starting Mike linebacker. So uh, at this stage in the game, for your head coach to say that, I don't think that's gamesmanship. Uh, I don't know what there is to gain by doing that. I think there's probably a lot more to lose than there is to gain yeah. by coming out and being that decisive. Um so, yeah, I was I was a little surprised just based on some of the film study that I did of Kenny Young. I really thought maybe he was ready to to move into that spot. But either way, uh, you know, he's he's going to be on the field. I think the thing that you, you led with interested me even a little bit more was Chris Board. Uh, you know, all of the reports of how well he'd been playing in minicamp and OTAs and maybe seeing a little bit more time over Kenny Young. That really was kind of surprising to me, not not because. I didn't think Chris Board was a good player. I mean, again, like I said, I went back and watched some preseason games. I mean, the guy can run. There's no question about that. As a linebacker, the guy's all over the field. But um, there just were some things that I saw in Kenny Young's game just in terms of learning from things from play to play, not even series to series. He was doing that at times, too, but learning from mistakes sometimes within a series of seeing something and not reacting to it quite as quickly as he could have. And then maybe a snap or two later seeing a similar thing and then bang, just firing his gun and getting right in there on it. So I was really impressed with his ability to self-correct at such a rapid rate uh, yeah. on the field in games. You, you're, you've, you've got him as a self-corrector. And I, what I would say is he's more of an instinctive gap shooter. At least this is what I liked about him. And he gan- he was willing to gamble. And the Ravens had the players around him, at least last year, that they knew how to fill behind him. They knew how to fill with Jefferson, who's a terrific run run player, as as it starts. And, of course, Mosley 
is going to be careful about the gap he takes. It is, is a more was a more careful gap shooter. Um, I, I loved what Kenny Young brought this offense. I think you know Bart Scott was similar in his uh, very aggressive uh, way of shooting gaps, and he knew he had the talent behind him to to uh, to make that happen. Anyway, I, there's been a 12 year run the Ravens had. Okay, so they drafted Edgerton Hartwell in 2001. They drafted Chris, Mo- uh, sorry, C.J. Mosley in 2014. From 2002 to 2013, they drafted five guys at inside linebacker. None of them worked out. Tavares Gooden was the best, but you know you got Mike Smith and Phillips and uh, nobody else who worked out anyway. And but at the same time, during that same period, they had three UDFA gems in Bart Scott, Jamil McLean, who for UDFA is certainly a gem, and and um, was it Ellerby? Ellerby. Ellerby. So there's your three. Thank you. Yeah, no, no, no. They've they've had a pretty pretty good track record, obviously, with with UDFA's at that inside linebacker uh, position. And there's a couple of guys uh, who are going to have a shot. I mean, whether it's uh, Alaka or EJ Ajaya, Alvin Jones, who was on the team last year, Silas Stewart, Matthew Thomas is a guy that's really interesting to me. Um, Florida State guy, very freakish athletic tester. Uh, spent some time with Pittsburgh. Uh, last year uh, on their practice squad. And I think he even got some snaps and very few snaps in a couple of games on special teams. But one play in particular, I remember seeing in one of his special team snaps, just because it's so rare, he was a gunner on, uh, on a punt. He's a linebacker. He's an inside linebacker. They lined him up outside and gunner running down the field. Obviously gunners are typically guys who are pretty fast, right? Who can move pretty fast to get down there and cover that pump before the ball gets, gets down. So it was kind of surprising to see uh, a linebacker uh, be able to move that way, but he tested that way. Now, does it translate to all the other things that an inside linebacker needs to do? Um, you know, that's, that remains to be seen because yeah, speed and athleticism is great. Um, I can remember one coach saying, look, speed gives you the opportunity to make tackles. It doesn't guarantee you're going to make tackles. It gives you the opportunity. So let's see, uh, you know, maybe what happens there with him. But he's, he's a guy of that group that I'm, I'm really interested in. Alvin Jones, too. Alvin Jones was a guy. Alvin Jones was a guy that I liked last year who made a number of plays on special teams. But if you're looking for an athletic sort of, um, you know, take a chance on a roll of the dice on out of that group, Matthew Tamlis would be my guy. All right. That's that's interesting. I'm, I'm glad to hear you handicap that. Um, I will say this because the inside linebacker crowd doesn't have the obvious stars in it. They may they may use a special team spot here. They may try and get a fourth inside linebacker who's a very a core special teams player. So that's certainly possible. Another possibility is that you really like your outside linebackers so much and your depth holds up and your injuries don't strike. You know, all of those all of those things. When I mean. Talking the second part, I'm really talking about the recurring injuries to McPhee's knee or Ray's wrist. And you may decide, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to call Bowser an inside linebacker, outside linebacker, and we're going to keep six outside linebackers that way because we really use our outside linebackers in a lot of ways more than our defensive line. The Ravens had their all-time low in defensive linemen per play at 1.90 last year. So they don't really use the defensive line that much. And in passing situations, they almost always have just one defensive lineman along with one outside linebacker playing on the inside. So they, they could maybe justify the extra outside linebacker that way if they were going to do it. And I don't think you can go without Bowser under any circumstances, so he's got to stay. So it really becomes one of maybe you can, you can manufacture a way for both Ray and McPhee to make the team that way. 
Yeah. What was interesting about Bowser, and I, I think you kind of touched on it, and I, I know I've seen it on Twitter some from other fans, too, is there's there's a sentiment among some people that they think he could play inside linebacker, that he'd be better. I know you're not suggesting that, but other people no. you know, sort of be, be better at inside linebacker. I don't necessarily feel that way either. But what was interesting is if you go back to that week one game versus the Bills, he played in a couple of packages where they would rush him from an inside linebacker spot. Uh, not a ton, but I think maybe they did it two or three times in that game, maybe as many as four times, but I think at least two or three. But then for the rest of the season, as I charted, you really didn't see that. You really didn't see them use him that way as much after well, that game. So it was kind of interesting. I think the package you're talking about, they had five outside linebackers on the field. And they did it three times against Buffalo, and they got sack, interception, sack on those three plays. Okay. And they had, uh, they had another four times, I believe, where they used four outside linebackers. And that was in week three against Denver. And then they, uh, they didn't do that the rest of the season. So it was a really mm-hmm. strange thing. Speaks well of Martindale that he sees an opportunity for that sort of thing. And it wasn't like three plays at the end of the half in the case of the five outside linebackers. It was three separate third down situations where they brought that package in, which is which is unusual that he, he you know, he'd feel good enough about, well, I guess you get a sack and interception, a sack, you feel pretty good about that package. But, but Yes, but anyway, you do. It, it did work out. It was, it, it was good that he... He used it under a situation he thought it could it could win. Anyway, um, I'm with you. I, I prefer keeping Bowser at outside linebacker. I think he obviously is at the, the the high end of the coverage skills area when he's there. If moves to inside linebackers, all the responsibilities change in terms of gaps versus edge and whatnot, and and it just becomes a it, it's it's a different position. We saw Camelike Correa yeah. not do well at that, and and I'm not looking to do that to Bowser. I'm I think he's a He's a Sam, and it'll probably be a Sam for six or seven years in this league, and it'd be a shame if we if we waste that by trying to change, have him change positions. Agreed. We've we've seen that movie before. You hit on it with Correa, so uh, I don't think we need to to see that again. Let's just leave him at Sam and, and let him get some more looks there and, and let him continue to kind of work from that spot. So uh, 100% agree with you on that. Um, do you want to move on to uh, yeah, sure. the secondary now? Okay, so. Um, this is what I would consider, probably what many would consider, the strength of the team, particularly on defense, probably overall, really. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe you can make an argument for the running game, but definitely on defense, the secondary is the strength of the team. And um, I guess if we start off with the safety position, um, I think it's pretty clear, obviously, that Tony Jefferson and Earl Thomas are locks. I don't think you're going to get any debate from anybody about that. But then it gets interesting, right? After that, it gets interesting. I think you and I would definitely see Anthony Levine as a lock just because I think we're big Anthony Levine fans. I think we we realize the value that he brings when he's in that dime linebacker spot. I mean, just you can mention the first Pittsburgh game. You can mention the Cincinnati game. I mean, you can think about all these games. Where Cleveland this guy's game. Yeah, or this guy's making plays to close out games. It's just, it's just like what he does. So uh, to me, he's he's in that same group of locks with Jefferson and Thomas. But then it does get interesting with some of the other guys beyond those three. Well, yeah, I, I do think Levine is a lock. Levine is one of the most disruptive defensive specialists in the entire league. And he's also the Ravens special team captain. So there's it, not a – I mean – I, you, you just can't let that guy go. It's a very, it would be a very big deal. Even though Bethel, I guess, probably could be the special teams captain this year, it, it wouldn't be unreasonable yeah. to do it if Levine were gone. I'm saying, yeah. uh, I, Levine is clearly the the very versatile veteran on this team. He's one year under contract. He's cheap as hell. I mean, you, there's just no reason you would ever cut that guy. Not not in my opinion. 
Deshaun Elliott is a is an interesting player coming into this year because the Ravens obviously, if they are one thing, it's old at safety. Uh, you know, Thomas is over thirty, Levine's thirty two or thirty three, and Jefferson is is getting up there. It might be twenty seven, twenty eight now, whichever it is. So we got the Ravens need an infusion of youth at safety, and and the biggest thing for Deshaun Elliott after losing a year, which is just it was just awful to not even have him be able to practice with the team, uh, but he has got to be able to prove himself on the back end. So I, I don't know if that means they're going to actually get him on the field a lot in game situations, but there's got to be situations, and maybe it is a rotational opportunity for Jefferson to come off the field or to drop down into the box or do, or you know to use four safeties maybe in a dime or quarter package uh, and, and use Elliott on the back end some, some of those times, not just in mop-up duty. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking, too, is that they're going to find some sort of package, some sort of rotational opportunity to get him on the field. Because just the reports that you heard about the kind of plays he was making in OTAs and minicamps, you go back to last preseason, forcing fumbles, recovering fumbles. He just seems to be one of these guys who is consistently around the ball. You can even go back to his last year at Texas, right? Mm -hmm. People talked about the interceptions that he had that year. Well, they were all on tips and overthrows. Well, that's what safeties are supposed (laughs) to do is catch the ball on tips and overthrows. So why would that ever be a negative? The fact that he's in position to catch those tips and overthrows, I think Mm -hmm. says something about his playmaking ability. So, I mean, look, it's one of those things that I know if you think about it from a quantitative perspective, maybe people aren't comfortable with because, well, you can't really measure that. I don't know. All I know is from what I've seen, the guy finds a way to be around the ball and make plays. So I think if you have somebody who shows that ability consistently, you got to find a way to get that guy on the field. And look, they've also got Chuck Clark. Chuck Clark obviously has played a lot um, over the, the years that he's been with the team going into his third year. He's also been a pretty solid contributor. I mean, you hear other guys on the team call him, you know, baby Weddle. Cause, you know, he's this guy that's sort of developing that same sort of mental chess game you know obviously he's not at Weddle's level Weddle's been doing it a lot longer than him but he was a guy who um, apparently really took to Eric Weddle's tutelage and really tried to learn and see the game through his eyes so uh, they've 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 got a good problem right it's a good problem to have when you have that many talented safeties and you just got to find a way to get them on the field. Clark certainly a core special teamer I think Elliott obviously could be as well uh, Thomas and Jefferson won't be playing special teams. Uh, it, it just wouldn't make a lot of sense at this point in their career with how important they are to the defense. I think it's it's certainly a situation where they could keep all five safeties, and I and that would be my projection initially that all five of those guys uh, would be kept. And I don't believe they have another safety even in camp. A guy they're calling really calling a safety. You know, Justin Bethel could he play safety in a pinch? Maybe could Carr? Yes, he could probably. You know. But I don't think they have another safety that's 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 a safety in camp other than those five. So that's a little unusual for a team to do that. And and I think it may be an indication that they're all going to make it. I was going to ask you, because th- this guy has been on and off the roster. I can never keep track. Bennett Jackson. Bennett Jackson. That's yeah. what I was going to ask you. But they he's got another kind of hybrid, right? Corner safety kind of guy. Yeah, they have him listed at corner now. So I, I, I looked at the roster yesterday as I was preparing for the show, and I, I – I saw the same thing, you know, you just pointed out because my question exactly was, is, is Bennett Jackson listed as a safety? But he's listed as a corner this year. OK. And that's kind of telling me. Yeah, they they want these five guys. So we'll see. Cornerback. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no. Just last thing, because I know we, we've talked about this before. Um, 
you kind of hit it at the top of the safety discussion about maybe a four safety package. Well, we've seen them do that. Was it the yeah. Denver game, right? At the end of the half, the Denver, at the Denver game where mm-hmm. it was Weddle and Jefferson on the back end and then Levine and Clark basically at inside linebacker. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, limited, but, but we've seen it. So eight, we know eight that snaps last year total. Yeah. So we know, we know Wink has that in the bag. So uh, could we see something similar again this year? I, I, I don't see why not. Well, the reason why it's more likely than it ever was before is because there's no C.J. Mosley. So, right. you know, normally you ha- the thing you do, and the Ravens played it, uh, 116 snaps, I believe, in 1996 was their, their high water mark for the uh, quarter. And they had Benny Thompson replacing the rookie Ray Lewis mm-hmm. that season. So who played – it was – basically a two down player. And that's where it happens is you don't have an inside linebacker who you obviously trust on passing downs. And it could develop that, that peanut is getting picked on a little bit in the passing game. It's not his biggest strength. His biggest strength is, is probably rushing the passer and being contributory to rushing the passer in various ways. And if, if that were to happen again, I could easily see a move of the green dot into the secondary, whether it's Jefferson or Thomas, but probably Jefferson. And then a, that would give you the flexibility at linebacker to bring in Chuck Clark on third down or Deshaun Elliott on third down and have a four safety package uh, dime or, or even a quarter. Yeah. And I know you've talked about that before, even some last season kind of anticipatorily thinking about, well, who might have the green dot, you know, if CJ were to leave, of course he did. Uh, and, and Jefferson seemed to be like the most logical guy for, for, you know, some reasons we talked about last year, but also for what you just mentioned. I mean, just from a flexibility standpoint, um, you know, I, I think that that, that makes a lot of sense. Now that's contrary to what Harbs has said so far, but Hey, they haven't played a game yet. So we'll see, <laughs> we'll see what happens there. Um, but I guess we'll 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 move on to to corners now, right? Kind of kind of talk about this another deep position with uh, with some interesting interesting things to look at. Yeah, certainly have you know some locks at the position. I think, and and there there can be roster changes. And I think corner, if you're looking for a position where the Ravens might make a move, pretty damn good ch- chance that the Ravens will uh, trade a corner before the before they hit week one. I say of all the positions, probably the most likely. So the the locks they have, obviously, for me, are Averett, Carr, Humphrey, Smith, and Young, assuming their depth holds up, no injuries, that we always have to, you know, go ahead and say that or we feel compelled to. A lot of people have talked this offseason about whether Carr or Smith is the better player to keep if you're looking to save cap, get cheap, do whatever. Now, the Ravens. They aren't in a huge position where they need to save a lot of cap this year. And next year they have a lot of cap to spend, but they could have an extra $9 million if they trade or cut Jimmy Smith. The problem is that Jimmy Smith may well obviously be good this year, which would be the first starting thing. That would have a lot of value to the Ravens. But beyond that, he could have a lot of cop value next year because somebody will sign him. And probably we're looking at a fourth round draft pick, maybe a five. Uh, you know, in terms of what he might draw on the open market, I was a little disappointed there weren't a bit, bunch of big cornerback contracts. Yeah. Uh, this this year, so we might not we might not see you know a nine million dollar deal for Jimmy Smith, but but he could easily be a five or six million dollar deal for two years, three years, or a one year prove it for six million, say. But uh, yeah, no, I was I was with you. I remember we were kind of monitoring that cornerback market, and we were both kind of hoping for one of those you know mega deals to kind of pop up because that would obviously increase. Jimmy's value potentially. So uh, unfortunately it didn't happen, but 
Um, it's a we talked about with the safeties. It's a good problem to have if if you've got three starting cal not starting caliber starters, mm-hmm. <laughs> three legitimate starters at cornerback in the NFL and potentially four really when you think Five. about the table. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, look, you're nowadays your your nickel is basically a de facto starter. Uh, I mean, yeah. you really have to look at it that way. So yeah, you're you're looking at a really really deep group, and it's gonna be hard to keep all of those guys right with the, with the safeties. I think we could kind of see a path to maybe, you know, seeing a way that all those guys could, could split some snaps up. It's going to be harder with corner. Um, of course, with the caveat that you've already given with injury, which, which happens at that position, obviously we've seen it historically here with the Ravens and cornerbacks, sort of some, some real rashes of injury at that position. So, um, Ozzie has said it before, you can never have too many good corners. And, uh, I think that's, that's borne itself out time and time again. So, I was definitely in the camp of probably trying to find a way to trade Jimmy Smith. And I think that that could still happen. I agree with you on that, but I've probably moved myself a little bit more towards the middle of, look, if you've got three high level starters like that, um, and, and then we talked about Young and, and maybe even Averitt contributing more this year, then let's just roll with that, right? If, if we roll into the season with that, that's not necessarily a bad thing because with the the amount of, of passing that goes on in this league, I mean, you, you really need that many guys. You, you do. And and you have five to make three is a good place to be on corners in, in the league right now. And there are very, very few teams that have the Ravens kind of depth and, and really the squared off quality, I think, in this group. Um, 83% of the snaps last year, the Ravens had five or more defensive backs on the field. Every single one of those, no, that's not true, because they play a little bit of big nickel. So that's about 5% of their nickel snaps, maybe. But almost every single one of those 83%, uh, maybe 80%, are um, plays with three cornerbacks or more on the field. So that rotation is really going to see an opportunity for, I think, Averett to show whether he's an outside or inside guy. He's going to be able to play some of both, hopefully. Uh, I do expect Tavon Young, and now you know he's certainly been given a star-level contract. I expect him to basically be playing most of the time. Uh, they've already seen a willingness to take show last year to take their team MVP off the field to make sure that Carr and Smith had enough snaps. They were both good corners, but you know Humphrey is the best cornerback on the on this team. Yes. And and uh, I'm I, you know, it's just it's a good problem to have. And and the nice thing about it is that Martindale has been such a good snap manager. And there's something about not only the rest that occurs with that kind of snap management, but the extra effort level that is incented from the player when the snaps are being handed out with an eyedropper. It like it. it increases demand for those snaps and effort on those snaps from the players because, you know, this is my opportunity. I got to get in there and do it. And absolutely, and it's, you know, it's a good yeah. problem. Yeah. If you, if you want to earn more time, you know, in that rotation, and I, I assume there's probably some, some guidelines that he has in terms of how many snaps he wants to divvy out amongst the guys. But if you want to earn maybe a few more than what's in the guidelines, you do it with how you play. So or I if think you, you're right. If, if in Harbaugh's case, if you don't want to lose a bunch of snaps the next that's game true. or be deactivated. <laughs> yeah, it works. It works both ways. And maybe and maybe that's the bigger fear, actually, is, is ending up in the doghouse. But, the, the you know, so so that's tremendous depth just on the top end uh, with those guys. But then you look at the back end and you look at Justin Bethel, who they signed as a free agent, who's mm-hmm. been a core special teamer, but is also a cornerback by position. You look at Stanley Jean Baptiste, Maurice Kennedy, Cyrus Jones, the rookie they drafted this year, Lewis Marshall. I mean, this this depth is is really, really impressive on the back end. And now you're going to have 
Um, you know, obviously those guys on the back end probably looking at more of a special teams role, but somebody's going to have to get the magical IR injury. I just don't see how they're going to be able to keep all of those guys and they're going to want to keep maybe one or two of those guys, but they're going to have to find a creative way to do it. Well, there's a, there's a disposition for these. I kind of want to separate them into three groups here. So the, the three guys you mentioned, Stanley John Baptiste, Kennedy and Cyrus Jones, they share a, a quality. They're all fourth year players. So they're on the bubble as it stands. And they any one of those guys, I think, is a reasonable chance to be traded. I would say that Cyrus Jones probably has the best chance to make the team just because the versatility to return punts and, and yep. what he did last year. I think there's, you know, they probably are more likely to keep him than the other two. Boy, Kennedy, Stanley Jean Baptiste, those are high quality corners to cut. You've got to be able to trade those guys. Yeah. You have to be able to figure out how to get that done. Or maybe you end up keeping seven. The guy that's kind of a mystery to me is is Bethel because he comes here as a special teams guy. And no doubt the Ravens could use help on special teams. But the Ravens also have an option value with Bethel. If they keep him for nine weeks and then cut him, they could possibly recover a comp pick in either round four or five. Mm-hmm. Now, there's other teams playing that game of chicken around the league. For instance, in Tennessee – Brent, Brent Urban could be cut at the same time and deny the Ravens a comp pick. Mm. And, and it would be important to basically uh, offset that possibility. So that would, you know, yeah. that's a way they could lose their four and then get it back kind of thing. Uh, you know, right now there's, there's, there's a lot of reasons why Bethel is on a nine week tryout. I think, mm. I think, I do think he'll make the team. I think he'll play for nine weeks. And then after that, I think it's absolutely not sure at all whether or not they, they, figure out a way to let him go or to um, uh, trade him possibly. And they would have to do that earlier, obviously, uh, in order to uh, to make the space and, and, and recover the comp pick. Lewis Marshall is an interesting. I'm sorry. Go ahead with Bethel. Did you have something else to say? No, I was just going to agree with you. I mean, I think that's that's definitely something that you don't want to risk. I mean, that comp pick, we know how much they covet comp picks. And if you're able to recoup what you might potentially lose, if that scenario that you you mentioned plays out with Brent Urban, it's going to be hard. Even if, you know, Bethel turns out to be a really solid, really core special teamer, it's it's going to be hard. I mean, you're going to have to really take a look at that and say, you know what, is we can probably replace you know, this guy with somebody else on a special teams unit and maybe still, you know, recoup that comp pick, then I, I don't know how you don't do that if you find yourself in that scenario. I think the Ravens probably could actually cut him and then re-sign him. I don't know what the rules are as far as that goes, but if they cut him, uh, they may have to wait three weeks. I'm not I'm not sure what the what the possibility would be, but um somebody else. We ought to ask Brian McFarlane on that question because he yeah. would certainly know in terms of of, of what that is. The, the last guy I want to talk about is is Iman Lewis Marshall. So you know, he's a draft pick, rangy, large mm-hmm. outside corner, a lot of physical run game help there. Projects to be a good press corner at the NFL level. Yeah, fair, fair number of pass defenses too. I was <laughs> for, for what I saw uh, of him in USC. I mean, he certainly had some plays where maybe he got beat over the top. Maybe long speed's not his game, but. Uh, if it's a contested situation or a tight coverage situation, he had a pretty fair number of PDs. Now, he would be the candidate among all these for IR. There's no point in putting a fourth-year player on IR. There's obviously Bethel. If he was on IR, that would be a bad thing. It wouldn't be It wouldn't be good because they can't. I don't believe they could cut him at that point. And then so Lewis Marshall would be the guy who you could put on IR. 
uh, it makes it does make sense. I would hate for him to lose that developmental year, but I think you know you're you're ending up with you have seven cornerbacks if you keep Lewis Marshall and Bethel. You're going to be pressured to keep seven cornerbacks anyway to to try and keep Cyrus Jones around. Absolutely. So it's it's difficult to see how they how they get this roster trimmed down. And I'm going to do what we did yesterday, right now, and or, or uh, on the offensive show, and talk about the spots that we think are locks and and they may handle differently. But I see them keeping six defensive linemen for sure, and there is probably a limited chance of a seventh there. But the obvious the the, the big five are set, and then I think they'll keep one of. Uh, Willis, Mack, and Ricard. Yeah. Okay. One road IR. Okay. So that gives them six. They, five outside linebackers, I think, is what they're going to end up with. I just think they'll keep one of Ray or McPhee. It may be decided otherwise by injury, but I think five is the number that really represents the most they can do. I'm going to say they just keep three inside linebackers because I think that's all that's sure so far. I think mm-hmm. all five safeties are locks to make it. It would be a surprise cut if any one of those guys were to be cut. Clark would be the guy, and I just don't see it happening. Neither do I. No. Uh, and and six cornerbacks, I'm going to say, are guaranteed. I, they they really there's, there's pressure to keep seven, there's pressure to keep eight, but you have possible extras we've named. It could be a DL fullback, it could be Ricard makes the game, it could be an outside linebacker if you somehow find a way to keep six. It certainly could be an inside linebacker where they may decide they want another core special teamer, and it could be a cornerback slash punt returner or a corner a pure cornerback either one. You know we're at. Six plus five plus five plus six. Okay, we're already at 25 without any of those additions. And remember, we had 22 on offense yep. with four possible additions. You got yeah. the, uh, we didn't explain this, but the Wolfpack obviously takes up three spots. So you really only have 50 spots you're, you're portioning out. And it's normally 25 and 25. That's what mm-hmm. the Ravens have done year after year. But this is a year where I just see a possibility that they'll go 26 and 24. It wouldn't even shock me if, based on who they have with players like Ricard and Cyrus Jones, who, play multiple roles that you might be seeing 27 and 23. I think that's unlikely, but 26 and 24, definitely a possibility. I agree. And I think Cyrus Jones has a really strong case. I mean, if he's back from whatever this health related issue uh, that he had during OTAs and minicamp, if he's, you know, sort of fully recovered or, or on the men from that. And the reason I lean that way is because I think about kind of how they started last season with the punt returners, right? Janarian Grant and sort of mm-hmm. how he fumbled his way out of the job. Tim White fumbled Same his thing. way out of the job. Yeah. And so it, it, you know, people in, in the grand scheme of things, maybe people are thinking, well, look, you can find any guy back there to be a punt returner. You know, why, why keep a seventh cornerback? You know, you can, you can make it up somewhere else. I think we saw last year, it's not that easy to find the guy who can make, you know, smart choices in terms of fielding the ball. And I think even, even Cyrus had, had one of those where uh, I think, uh, Jerry Rossberg says a play that shall not be <laughs> shall not be mentioned. He even had one of those, but by and large, I think he did a pretty good job in terms of his decision making. Uh, held on to the ball well. Actually, had you know a couple of nice returns. Uh, so I mean, that's that's a pretty important position. Probably more important than kick returner. If you're just looking at returners, yes. uh, I think punt returner would be the more important of the two. So I, I I give Cyrus Jones maybe a little bit of an upper hand in that last spot. Uh, on defense in terms of those additional guys that you talked about, additional positions where they might keep a guy. Okay, so my devil's advocate component, and I, I'm agree, I'm with you basically that I think Jones is probably on there with one of the last roster spots on this team. But my devil's advocate position is this. He's a year four player. You have no option value on him. He's not a guy who's going to contribute to the comp formula. We know that because he doesn't play defense. 
nobody's going to pay more than a million dollars for a punt returner vet vet minimum kind of contract, which means he won't qualify for the for the comp formula. So I think, and then and then of course he's coming off this thing where he missed OTAs, and mm-hmm. it's a personal problem of some sort. So maybe it's a hernia, maybe it's something else. Who knows? But but whatever the case, it's something that that you know has to be a significant health problem because it kept him out of camp. True. So, True. You know, good point. Those are all good devil advocate points. I can't I, I can't really say any of those are weak points. Those are all really good things that really kind of work against everything I just said. So it could be that 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 might not. Uh, I, I don't feel as comfortable about that after hearing those points. Those are all strong. All right. Well, Josh, what do you got for us in the mailbag? Yeah, so uh, got a few questions here we can go through. And the first one up is uh, from Bart, who is one. Who are you guys most excited to see getting pads next week? Oh, man, that's a tough one for me. I guess I'll start. Um, you know, I'm going to go offense, and I hope, fingers crossed, Hollywood Brown is a guy that I would love to see. You know, he was he was projected to be on track uh, to, to participate in training camp, uh, recovering from the Liz Frank. And so, you know, I, because we didn't get to see him throughout the pre-draft process, and obviously with the rookie minicamp and OTAs, you know, so we're sort of – you're relying on everything that you saw on, on college tape at Oklahoma and the amazing speed and the big plays. I, I want to see it. You know, I want to see it on an NFL field with, a, with NFL guys to, to really get a look at it. Okay. So my guy, I'm going along the same pass. I want to go with Jalen Ferguson uh, as being a, a, you know, a guy that the Ravens clearly are depending on. He's a lot of their future as a pass rusher. And I really want to see him have it together. And if I, if I get to cheat and take a second, I want to see Tim Williams back on the practice field looking like the athletic stud he is and really looking like he's playing football again and not out of shape, not unprepared. I feel like that should have been the question someone asked is who comes way out of shape and unprepared. But uh, <laughs> I won't I won't make you I won't make you pick out a guy for that. Let's go with Garnett's question. Who's wondering with Deshaun? Uh, do you see Deshaun Elliott taking snaps away from Anthony Levine at the dimeback position? No, I, I really don't. And I, and Michael, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to your answer too. I think Levine is is very well entrenched there. So it, Chuck Clark did take a few snaps from him last year. Uh, I I think it's more important for Deshaun Elliott to play on the back end and prove he can do that long term. That's where the Ravens have a developmental need. Yeah, I I don't know if it would be good, per se, to take more snaps away from Anthony Levine. I'd actually like to see him on the field more in that, that dime linebacker role. But I could see, because of that conversation we had about trying to rotate Elliott in and trying to find a spot, that maybe you rotate him in at that, that sort of dime linebacker spot first. Because like you said, Ken, I think ultimately you want to see him do it on the back end, but maybe just to kind of ease his transition as a guy who maybe didn't play a ton on the back end. Um, uh, You know, Tony Jefferson talked about that, right? When he first came here, he said his first year here, he really didn't play on the back end hardly at all in Arizona. So he said it was a really big learning curve for him the first couple of years learning how to do that. So maybe they try to ease Deshaun in and let him do some things closer to the line of scrimmage or in the middle of the field. So only for that reason. Do I think it, it's a possibility that he could take some away from Levine? But I don't necessarily think it's a good thing uh, in terms of the way the overall defense would perform. Right. And they had some injuries on the back end last year. Clark got 23.4% of the snaps and Levine 26.5%. So the Ravens played 28.5% dime 
for the entire season. I'm looking at the, I'm sorry, let me make sure I have this correct here. Do, 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 do. Yeah, I don't have a percentage here, but it's it's 28.5% was the regular season percentage, I believe. So he played 26.5% all season. He didn't even play all of the dime snaps. So there were some dime snaps where Clark took his role last year. Not unheard of, certainly, but both of those players got a lot of snaps. For Deshaun Elliott to make inroads in that, he almost has to take snaps from somebody else. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the, the if if you want to rotate a little bit of safety, if you want to take Jefferson out, let him take a series off every once in a while, you know, maybe that's a possibility. I think you know that certainly goes away if Jefferson is the signal caller. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I, I think it's it's going to be hard for Deshaun Elliott to get snaps, and yet he's the young player that is the best hope to be their next great back end safety, whether that's free or strong playing cover two. So it could be either, but they need to get develop another guy who's very strong on the back end. All right. Let's stay in that percentage mindset because James Cleveland is a big Shane Ray fan. And you guys, you already broke down a lot of Shane Ray, what it's going to take, but he wants to get a percentage from you guys of what's the actual percentage chance of him making the team. All right. I'd, yeah, I defer to you, Ken. <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna raise where I had him from before, which was about 35 percent, and say 40 to 45 percent might be realistic. The earlier reports about you know not indic- being indicative of injury certainly a reason for optimism with him. He's the younger player. I think you know there's there there will be a lot of attempt to keep him. There's a good chance somebody else will get hurt. There may be a good chance that Jalen Ferguson is just not ready. He needs a year in the NFL weight room, and they decide that you know they'll come up with a toe injury or whatever for him to just do that for a year. Where are you, Michael? Yeah, I I think that's a fair number. Um, you know, there were a lot of positive reports about Ray in OTAs and mini camp. You know, he looked the part, he looked explosive, he looked quick. But you know, there's not a lot of contact going on there the pads aren't on like they are in training camp and much like how you hear you really can't judge a lot about running backs in non-padded practices i don't know how much you can judge about pass rushers either in non-padded practices so we'll see uh if some of that that positive drum beat that we heard about shane ray continues in the training camp i hope it does uh because if you get that guy who you saw in his rookie season, you could have a real gem, right? I mean, that that's almost like a Patriots kind of move, right? Where you take a guy that's kind of been cast off who had some early potential or showed some early potential, and then you're able to kind of recultivate some of that and get some of that play out of him. So I hope it happens. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on probably that 40 to 45% end of the, of the percentage spectrum. All right. One thing we, we you make the point, great point about padded practices is that we haven't seen much non-brother-in-law play with an offensive lineman. So that offensive lineman is not trying to break that wrist. And in the regular season, they damn well will be. So, <laughs> Absolutely. So, let's go uh, ahead, Josh. What do all you right. Got? Yeah, uh, I'm gonna go, we're going to go with Jalen Ware, who's wondering, where does Marlon Humphrey need to improve his game this season in order to be mentioned among the elite corners in football? Well, Mar- Marlon Humphrey is obviously among the elite corners in, in football, and anybody who's really looking at the thing will do that. Now, one of the things that happens this time of year is the Madden ratings come out. And he came out with an 85, and I know people are upset about that. I don't play Madden, so maybe I have no right to be not upset about that. But I will say that it, it, it doesn't matter. And Marlon Humphrey is the MVP and well-deserved MVP of the Baltimore Ravens in 2018. He 
Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, you're you're right. You're 100 percent right. Uh, anybody who doesn't see him as uh, among one of the elite corners in the league, everybody's entitled to their opinion. But, you know, I, I, I just don't see how you can do that with any kind of legitimacy uh, to it. Uh, look, you certainly don't hear him necessarily always mentioned with the Jalen Ramsey, with Marshawn Lattimore. Sometimes you don't hear him. Uh, yeah. In, in, in that vein. But uh, I think I saw something today where somebody was listing Denzel Ward over him. And I'm just like, look, come on <laughs> now. Now, now we're getting to sort of kind of a ridiculous area. <laughs> I mean, I think Marlon Humphrey, for my money, he's he's I, I put him definitely in the top 10. No question. And then maybe there's even an argument for top five, top six cornerbacks in the league, but no question in the top 10. So I don't know what else he would need to do. Um, you know, maybe he's got to pay somebody off. I don't know, <laughs> because maybe I think with his play on the field, it's already there. Maybe one more year just like it. Yeah, yeah. I'd agree. I, uh, I think I probably know. what hurts is the the you don't see big interception numbers, and that might be something that kind of hurts a little bit. But um, a lot of that is indicative of just how the Ravens play uh, and, and not not so much that, you know, he's dropping balls that he should be intercepting or something like that. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm with you. I don't know what else he's got to do. He's already there for me. Right. There's there's a it's some of it is approach, but some of it, which which certainly is part of it. And some of it may just be, you know, a difference in, in how people are built. But he has got a baseball bat for a right hand in terms of getting getting a ball out of somebody's hand. I uh, just I've never seen anything like it. There's never been a Raven who's been as good. And that includes C-Mac in his prime in terms of of, you know, knocking a ball loose for an for an opposing wide receiver. Yeah, it's it's peanut. It's it's Charles. Peanut Tillman back from the old Bears teams sort of <laughs> sort of ability. Peanut, uh, look, I, he's the greatest. I'm going to defer to him. But but Humphrey, yeah, you see it time and time again. A guy who looks like he's got a catch and then he just jolts it out of there uh, mm-hmm. for an incompletion. I mean, it's really something you can tell that he works on and is very aware of because it, it it's not a fluky thing. I mean, it happens a lot. All right. I don't know. 85 sounds pretty good to me for a Madden score. I'm no Madden expert, but if if 85 isn't considered good, then they're giving away too many 99s and 98s, <laughs> I would guess. But uh, let's close out the mailbag with two questions from Jacob Vogel. And you guys can both answer these questions. You can each take one question, however you want to do this. Who is your surprise cut and who is your surprise person to make the 53 this year? OK, we better each take each take both sides of that, because then we can we can spread the love as much as we uh we can on that michael you want to go first on a surprise cut yeah um and we talked about this a little bit during pre-show and now i am too cowardly to actually say the name that i was gonna say so i'm gonna go i'm gonna go with james hurst on the offensive line i don't know if that's necessarily a huge surprise but um i think sort of the ascension of jermaine illuminor and people may say ascension what are you talking about Look, I'm not saying this guy is the second coming of Joe Thomas or anything, but in terms of a guy who can feel that swing role that James has filled in previous years, tackle guard and do it at a pretty solid level, certainly at a replacement player level for a lower cost and with more time left uh, in terms of team control time, I, I, I would see that as a as a reasonable um, outcome Not you know, who knows if it'll happen, but that that would be my my pick. Okay, that's an interesting one. I think that's I, I before the season and since the last offseason, I had I had pondered whether or not Hurst might get cut and talked about it a little bit with McFarlane. 
And, you know, his point was you don't have enough cap savings, although I think it's about a million dollars in cap mm-hmm. savings for cutting Hurst after one year of this four year deal. But if you don't really believe in the guy, that's enough savings to give the roster spot to somebody else who's cheaper. Mm-hmm. So if you believe in the other guy more, it, it is enough. So, you know, we'll see. I, 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 I think Alex Lewis is coming into camp with a ton to prove. I wouldn't be shocked if, if that ended up being the guy. Uh, my, it would, the shocking cut would be Chuck Clark, maybe a more reasonable surprise cut, I think, given now the love he's getting would be Shane Ray for me, that, that he, uh, for whatever reason, he can't, uh, he can't show up the way the other, the other players can. How about the surprise making it? You want to start with that, Michael? Yeah, the surprise for me, and I know I've I've been beating this drum for a long time now, would be, I don't know if it's a huge surprise, but Kenneth Dixon. I think I, mm-hmm. I hear there's a sort of a lot of rumbling out there that people seem to think he's he's pretty primed to be a cut uh, because they look at bringing Ingram in, they look at the year that Gus Edwards had drafting Justice Hill, and um, obviously Dixon has had injury and suspension issue, and then um, he sort of got body shamed a little bit this two, uh, this season too, preseason in, in terms of some pictures that he put out online and people talking about he wasn't in shape. But I've said it before, just in terms of pure running ability, I think he's the most talented runner uh, in their group. And I think you saw it last year when he came back to the team. I mean, the guy just has a knack for maintaining his balance through contact, uh, running through contact, picking up tough yards. Um, you think about that big play in the wild card game where Lamar is scrambling and throws the ball over top of Derwin James and Dixon is on the other end and kind of rumbles for some extra yards. He's just a guy who is able to get more than what's blocked. And, you know, it's not always pretty. He's not, you know, a four three guy or anything like that. But I I'm in the tank for the guy. I'll admit it. <laughs> OK, it's 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 really hard for me to pick a guy who'd be a really surprised guy because I'm trying to pick all the guys on the edge. But I think a guy that a lot of people have figured for being cut that would be a little bit of surprise if he made it is Patrick Ricard. He'd probably be my surprise making it that the Ravens like his versatility so much that they keep him around. He's cheap this year. He'll be fairly cheap next year as an RFA. And they'll look at that two year option value on him. And obviously there's a lot of other clubhouse concerns into whether or not, uh, you know, that'll work out. But uh, but hopefully uh, Patrick uh, uh, could contribute on both sides and and give you that extra true blocker as a tight end. If something were to happen to Nick Boyle, and you don't you really don't want to think about that possibility. But Nick Boyle has been lost for various points in his career. Most of that's been suspension related and not injury related. But if it's injury related this time around, you know, you certainly wouldn't want to be without an, a, a really top quality blocker. And, and Ricard could give you that. All right. Great. Uh, my surprise cut is Lamar Jackson. <laughs> you'll, get, you'll get a lot of points for that if you're right. <laughs> right exactly. Uh, though Lamar Jackson does throw out the first pitch at the Oriole game on Wednesday night, and I cannot wait for radio callers to critique the accuracy of his pitch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that'll happen. Do you know anything more about it? Will. And when he'll be, when he'll be. Yeah. Uh, I know that, that he's assigned to the Gulf Coast League in Sarasota right now. So I'm not, not sure when he's actually coming up to Aberdeen. But he, uh, he it was supposed to be this week, next week. Yet. Did he get active? No, he's just listed on their roster. He's okay. listed on the Gulf Coast roster. So uh, I'm not sure. We'll see. Everyone's anxious and everyone's excited. 
It is. I, I can't believe uh, I'm more excited about going to a Bowie game or an Aberdeen game than going to an Orioles game, but that's where we are right now. I mean, hey, we're recording this on Tuesday night. The Orioles got blown out by the Nationals. If you chose to go see the Bay Sox tonight instead, you would have seen a no-hitter as the Bay Sox pitcher wow. Michael uh, Bowman threw a, a no-hitter tonight. So wow, wow, much wow. better baseball in Bowie, in Norfolk, in Aberdeen, in uh, Delmarva. And either in Waldorf, if you go see the Southern Blue Crabs or whatever in the independent league, they had a nice steal first base over the weekend for the first time in history. So huh. any baseball is better right now than the Orioles. All right. Well, fair enough. Uh, Josh, Michael, such a pleasure to do the show again with you uh, guys. And we'll look, be looking forward to doing something after that first preseason game. Uh, we may do one more show before that, you know, as the pre- first preseason game is coming, but more likely after that first preseason game. Look forward to it. Look forward to it. A season's getting ready to ramp up. And uh, before you know it, you know, we'll be in the thick of it. Well, let's uh, make sure you get your Twitter handle on. Any other information you want? Plugs for any material. Oh, yeah, I am at Abukari on Twitter. That's A-B-U-K-A-R-I. Um, I mentioned it in the defensive uh, I'm sorry, the offensive pod that have a couple pieces that I think are still out on Russell Street Report with uh, Dev Pinchwa, where we broke down Shane Ray and Pernell McPhee. And then, um, you know, going to try to get out to a couple of training camp practices. I wish purely is just a fan, but I may end up having to write something. So uh, those might be out there sometime soon. All right. I'm at Film Study Ravens. Uh, keep an eye out for stuff. I've got a, an analytic piece that's historic on the Ravens coming up. And uh, I'm on Twitter every day and I'd love to get some great discussion going. I know Michael is around, too, and and we love to get the get the uh, badminton rackets going on some of these questions once once they get tossed in with our handle. So uh, please don't be shy. Josh, how about you? Uh, uh, yeah, go uh, go on your podcast app and, and subscribe to three through six daily to get your little morning water cooler talk of what's going on with the Oreo. Uh, OK. Eight to twelve minute episode every morning to get you uh, all set with the Orioles. So go subscribe to that, just like you subscribe to Film Study. While you're over there, rate and review Film Study. Give us five stars. Put a little uh, comment in there because that helps with rankings, helps with other people finding. So when people search Ravens, we want to make sure that our podcast, Film Study, is coming up as the number one podcast. So make sure to do that for us. Thanks, Josh. Thank you. All right, guys. Have a good evening. comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now that's an everyday win. 
Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. From self-help books to meditation, we work hard to find peace of mind. Xfinity Home helps you rest easy with a total home security solution. Installed by experts and powered by secure and reliable Xfinity Wi-Fi, you'll get 24-7 professional monitoring with fast response times and real-time alerts, like when doors and windows are opened. Rest easier with Xfinity Home. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash home security. Restrictions apply. Residential customers only. Requires compatible high-speed internet. Professional installation required. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.